Hey everybody and welcome to the Tech Talk Tuesday show. I'm your host, Amanda McCullough, and I have with me today, Dr. Aaron Cole, who's a pretty prolific inventor here at NSWC Crane, and I'm so glad he could join us today. Today, we're gonna be talking about the fever detection system, what we call it Crane, is that anyway? But there's quite a bit more um, uses for for this technology. So Aaron's gonna spend some time with us today just going over some potential uses and just giving us some more information about it. So I will start out um, by saying, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, if you are interested in learning more about this technology, or you think this could be something that um, your business might be interested in licensing, please reach out to us at crane underscore t2 at navy.mil. So without further ado, Mr. Aaron Cole, would you do me a favor and tell everybody a little bit about just your work history at Crane and the Navy and a little bit about what you do? Well, thank you so much for having me first off, right? Uh, my my history gets a little bit long, lengthy, so I'll try to keep it somewhat truncated. I've got multiple degrees in electrical engineering, mathematics, and physics, a minor in philosophy. I've got a master's in optical engineering. Uh, and lately, I've been really picking up some certifications in mechanical engineering, uh, as well as computer science, because lifelong learner for the most part. Now, within each and every one of those sectors, I really did emphasize interacting with each one of those technologies to really, well, learning degrees. So for instance, in in mathematics, I really worked on differential geometry. That was my specialization. In physics, I worked on optics, which is really what has brought me here, uh, there. And it really even fed a lot into my master's program in optical engineering. To say the least, I've spent about 18 years really developing my expertise in this respective field. I've worked uh, modeling simulation for the Navy for the greatest amount of time of that, where I was doing lead performance-based analysis. How does a system, when being used by a warfighter, do the job that it really needs to do, which taught me and taught me so much and really gave me a good hands-on interaction with the warfighter and with the acquisition community to understand how it all really fits together. Since then, I developed an understanding of working with so many of those systems that very quickly I started to develop technologies because when you're working with technologies you see, and when you're working with warfighters, you see the deficits they have, the gaps that they need filled, and then the technologies that are out there that you know, really could help our warfighters out. So I very quickly started to develop my own technologies with lots of different patents, things along those lines. Part of that technology transition, part of that background was was fueled by working with the Department of Energy on projects. I've worked with NASA on some things, definitely worked with several uh, DARPA projects and PMs, um, even worked with the State Department on, on a variety of uh, more sensitive issues, uh, specifically well, we won't get into the specifics there, but on some really cool things to say. So there's a lot of things that I'm not able to talk about in those areas. However, it has really fueled and turned me into a, a, a chief engineer of technology transition for EOIR technologies in particular, which has led me to put out several different patents um, and has really helped me become a pretty solid steward for responsible value for the American taxpayer, that everything that we're working on is something that matters to our warfighters. It's something that matters to our country. And it's really been very uh, rewarding within those areas. And specifically, even the technology we're talking about today, it's been really rewarding. And it's really been driven 
uh, by my internal need and desire to be of service. I love to do this and I hope that you guys ultimately see that. Um, it's pretty fascinating to get to do the things that we get to do for our country in service uh, of our warfighters and our fellow citizens. So that's a very long-winded answer on all that stuff. So hopefully it didn't take too much. Well, when you're really cool, you got a lot of, you got a, a lot, lot of stuff to share, that, right? right? right, right. <laughs> so uh, we always like to uh, pick on our guests just a little bit with an icebreaker question, which you were made aware of before this podcast. So your question that you get to answer is if you could eat three foods for a month, what would they be? So, you know, I told my wife about this and she laughed at me. She's like, there's no food in this world. So in Indiana, <laughs> we have this jo joke about wait five minutes and the weather will completely change. Give me five minutes and the meals that I love will change every single time. So one wonderful example of this is I've not had a pickled beet my entire life. And then over Christmas at my mother-in-law's, I had one and now it is going to be my desert island food and it's a pickled beet for all things right i mean gross but delicious fantastic and then ever since i was knee high to a grasshopper uh lima beans have been my jam like i was the kindergarten kid who finished his lima beans and um yeah it was a great time <laughs> to, to be the kid who only eats his lima beans which was really good and then uh, from my world travels to other parts of the united states i should say i got really lucky um and basically, I got to try something that has become one of my favorite dishes, which is salmon. Um, I really love a good Alaskan salmon that's freshly caught. Not that we get that much here by any means, but I really do enjoy it whenever I get an opportunity to it. So those are my three. And again, my wife is sitting at home cackling because that's not going to last more than probably this conversation. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> after the course of the month, you'll be really over it. I'll be really, really <laughs> over it. I'll probably have lost 87 pounds. <laughs> I'll be eating sand and dirt and coconuts and whatever. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank appreciate you, appreciate the info. I feel like I know you better now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what like the need was for this technology. You know, what was your initial, like, why we need this technology? So all of a sudden, the world starts to undergo COVID, right? And within COVID, it became very clear very quickly within the first few weeks of reports coming out that this disease is spreading rapidly. It's a respiratory disease. Uh, and not only that, but people are experiencing fevers when they've got it. And Bumed put out a report that basically identified this core temperature that they wanted to start identifying. And of course, having years and years working in electro-optics and working with infrared technology, I was it was very clear to me. I was like, we have cameras, we have technology that can instantaneously take somebody's body temperature at crazy distances of, of kilometers away in real time. And we could be deploying that at every single important stop, even when there's hundreds of people moving through, that essentially, without going too much into the, the technical details as we'll get technical details as we go through this, it was COVID, right? I mean, I was looking at the world and I was like, how do we, how do we within the Department of Defense bring the awesome technologies that not many people really get to see and experience on their day to day? How do we bring that to the world in order to to uh, to save some lives. How can we shut down what was ultimately proved to be just a nightmare, right? Um, and not only that, but it was a clear opportunity, like looking at all the various sensors we had, I said, we have so many of these, we don't have to wait for major procurements to happen. If we can start using each and every one of the hundreds of thousands of sensors that our warfighters use day in, day out, and can we start using them now? Can we start saving lives now? And it was like the answer from leadership was go forth and prosper. Let's do this. You know, like, what can you do? And in under a month, we, um, we, we made it. 
right? Within a month, our our captain was like, he came out. We had we were characterizing hundreds of people. We were working with BUMED and the medical staff here. We were working with the national uh, COVID response team on this. It was fantastic because with under a month, we had hundreds of people tested, verified, characterized, certified, uh, and very quickly built this system, um, which was... Um, Pretty amazing and rewarding to see within that span of time and for an investment cost of only $17,000 to put that much effort together so quickly that it could be used throughout the DOD so young people and so that everybody could stop getting sick as quick as possible with the idea hopefully being that fevers would be that route. Yeah, so that and was I, I remember that coming through really fast. Like I remember it being like kind of in the, the beginning stages of COVID when your invention kind of came through the system and everything and it was really, really, you know, cutting edge at that time to be able to have that. So that's very cool. So kind of tell us a little bit about like an overview of the invention and some features and different things, you know, that you might want the listeners out there to know and sure. just understand and just kind of give us an overview of the invention. Sure. So at its simplest, I really try to break it down into just some of its pieces. I think systemically like an engineer, I try to say, how could I make this thing as simple and easy for anybody to use as possible, right? Because if something's complex and nasty and you got histograms and you've got all these values spread all over the world, all over your screen, does that really serve the purpose of utility? Not so much. So the idea was, let me break this into simple components that anybody can use, that warfighters who have experience can immediately deploy, that ship commanders can immediately take in and say, you know, we can sanitize a ship very quickly and all that kind of stuff. So the things that I really want people to understand is we basically made it in a few discrete subcomponents. We have these very, these temperature references that we use in science. We call them black bodies. They're based upon Kirchhoff's black body radiation law, and without getting too much in, it basically is predicting the spectral output from the sun. Like what, what colors of light do you get from sunlight versus LED versus fluorescent, et cetera. So we have these things called black bodies, and we take two of them because they're incredibly controlled down to 10,000th of a degree. So that's 0. 0.0001 one degrees of temperature control. So they're super precise, right? And they're very adjustable. And I said, you know what? We've got a bunch of these in our labs. Why don't we pull these out? Why don't we use these with our thermal cameras so we have two good known temperatures and we know what the, how the camera's responding to those temperatures because we, we know our cameras very well. Um, and then how do we basically pull information off? So in essence, the system is three components. It is the black body or really a very precise temperature reference, uh, a camera, right? A thermal camera that actively looks at this, something that's fairly well understood. Um, and then of course, uh, software to run it on. So within the Navy, we have a lot of uh, restrictions because we're the Department of Defense, really focusing on defending our cybersecurity and platforms. And so we wa I wanted to make sure, and I made sure that it would work within that ecosystem such that the software that we would develop would be able to be utilized by anybody through academia, industry, and specifically the Department of Defense with our cybersecurity profile. So it's really those three things. It's a camera, it's a black body, and it's a uh, and it's software that basically speaks to these two components, and then ultimately gives a readout to uh, to nurses and doctors. And one of the things that we learned very quickly from our first runs with this is we wrote it like our engineer, uh, we as engineers would want it, right? So it's. It had diagnostics. It had information. It was feeding out whatever it possibly could to. It was a very simple interface. When we gave it to the nurses at one of the local hospitals. They looked at it like, what is this thing? Because they first got, they stepped back with the UI, the user interface, and they said, 
I don't know what I'm doing here. I know that I'm supposed to be taking temperatures, but how am I taking that temperature, right? And so we kind of had the thought of like, oh, I'll just simply color these areas and I'll give, no. In the end, we really working with the nurses and the doctors and the medical ad advisors that are there, we very quickly adapted and made sure that the thing worked beautifully with them, right? So the wonderful things I'd like to talk about is one, the system is simple. Number two, it's agnostic, meaning that since I designed it for these hundreds of thousands of DOD systems, it can work for those hundreds of thousands, right? So for those of, there, there are a few spectral bands of interest, mid-wave and long-wave that we tend to think about. We don't wanna to go too much in the physics there as to what those are, uh, but there are some scientists that will understand it works for those. So if something is, sees heat coming off of, a, off of a person, off of a vehicle, and the vehicle becomes important because we've really expanded this technology beyond that, which has been really cool, um, that it's agnostic. In, in, in simplest words, it works for every infrared system we could we could reach out. Because we also, with we didn't want to restrict competition. We wanted to make sure that any company in the future who had like a really novel sensor system would be able to utilize that. So it was pretty cool that we were able to make it so agnostic. But the things that I felt made it really cool, the things that I felt really gave it an advantage were the speed and the reliability, right? Reliability, it's just on 24-7. You can leave it, you can set it up, and you don't have to worry about it. That camera is just going to run and run and run hundreds of thousands of hours, thousands of hours it can get off the thing before you have to even consider the camera doing anything. Um, and the speed at which it runs is it runs at every frame. It, it measures that person's temperature in 0 0.016 seconds, 16 milliseconds. That's amazing. It's really fast, right? So rather than sitting there and somebody has to put that thermometer up to your head, and maybe they're not even in the right spot because there's only certain areas on the forehead, as we've learned from working with the doctors and stuff, where your fever is really accurately taken. Where in this instance, because it looks at your full face, just as this visible camera right now sees every part of me, veins, face, eyebrows, that kind of stuff, the thermal imager sees the same thing, except it can see the veins under your skin. It can see where the heat is coming in your person and it can make the best decision. And it turns out that the inner canthus right here in the eye for every every person, regardless of skin color, weight, health, health predisposition, you name it, it works perfectly for reading right here within the, the eye for the most reliability for most of the people. So it was so great that it was so quick and it was so reliable that it could be deployed. And its accuracy is down to like 0 0.02 degrees Fahrenheit because of the way in which these cameras work. Um, but not only that, because I was worried about the world at large, we made sure that you could use it in stadiums. You could use it in large groups of people walking like 16 to 20 some odd people or thousands of people if you put the right optics on the thing. You can take all these temperatures every 0 0.016 seconds, which is pretty fast and we thought was pretty cool. And then of course, because we wanted to make it useful for the medical professionals, adjustable protocols, right? So that if somebody wants to trigger a fever off it, like a lot of people don't want to be notified all the time if something's going, we call it a fast, false, false signal, if you will, to keep it simple. We wanted the doctors to be able to say, I want to ignore everyone that's healthy. I don't want you to show me every person's body temperature. I want you to show me body temperatures that go above a threshold. Right. You know, and early on it was like 99.3, then 99.6. And depending upon the hospital, depending on who they're talking to, depending upon which professional you're working with, we wanted to give them that, right? And then of course, the last thing is, is because of all these adaptabilities, this, this compatibility, these wide areas that it's able to, to read over, is we can also do it at kilometers away. 
right? So I can read, we can read uh, the temperature of a person at a full sprint five to 10 kilometers away, just as well as we can read them two to three feet away. Now for hospitals, we do tend to set them up pretty close. We're not worried about people running through the uh, the lobby anytime so right there. Um, and we're not worried about taking temperatures a kilometers away. So our most advanced systems do the kilometers, but most of what we've built is really to be useful for just everyday people yeah. to do the most good, the most quickly that we could. Yeah. And it, from seeing it set up, it really doesn't take up a lot of space and it's not hard to use. And I mean, I've seen you kind of just show it a little bit and it's, it is really amazing, you know, to kind of see that. And so, um, you know, in some of our conversations we've had, you kind of told me a little bit about like some alternative uses, whether it be like in the world of veterinary science or whether it be even like in detecting tumors in, in people. Right. Can you kind of like just share with the listeners a little bit about you know, all, all that and how that works, you know, Certainly. instead of just the actual fever detection part. Certainly. So one of the weirdest things, that, so as, as we started to use the technology more, we started to get like our local uh, innovation economy around here to get engaged with this. And wonderfully enough, there were some, some veterinarians that started to say, Hey, what can you do with some of this? And I was like, we can help you read, um, the temperature of piglets, of cows, of farm animals, basically really, they started to inform us that there are like funguses and yeast and gross things that grow on animals when they're outside that really raise the body temperature underneath the fur. Or if you've got a dog that may have mange or a sick cat or something like that, simply the animal walking in front of the, the, the camera, you can quickly see how effective flea collars and things like that are. And so working with those guys, it very quickly became like, this doesn't just have to be for COVID. This doesn't just have to be for just measuring fevers. It's so precise and so very accurate, it can pick up the temperatures underneath fur on animals. So that if you have cows walking around in a field and rather than have to bring them in and go through like a full long day and have the vet servicing everyone, you as a farmer can kind of drive around, you can kind of see into your field and say, something is wrong with that. Now, it doesn't diagnose. It's not going to tell you what the fungus is. It's not going to tell you what the tumor is or what the growth is or what the pulse, you know, or why the animal is lame. But it will show you that there is a substantial amount of heat here, which you know is abnormal from training and experience. So we got pretty excited to see like, look at how broadly we could take this into the farm life. We can recognize illness in an animal that is a herd animal that's trying to hide that illness as best it can so that a farmer may not pick it up, but you might be able to pick it up days earlier. And as most people tell you, it's easier to treat something before it gets serious, right? So before that animal goes lame, you might be able to pick pick up that that's there. And then also just in, with regards to human beings and specifically cancers, one of the things we've recognized really since the 1970s, and this was even reviewed by the FDA in, the, in like 1977, is that you can pick up in human breast tissue increases in temperature in very localized regions as a function of just more blood flow is going to these tumors. So any tumor that kind of resides high up on the skin is something deep in your brain and they're going to see, right? I mean, it can't, there's not enough blood flow that's ever going to show a temperature change there, but something that's on the surface or something that's in fatty tissue that has different thermal insulating properties, such as breasts that, it very quickly is able to see that. Now, in the 70s, when analysis was done, those thermal, those thermal imagers, not super great. But the thermal imagers we have today, I mean, 25 millikelvin, super tiny differences in temperature, you're able to see that there is something anomalous on this person. 
And then if nothing else is a medical professional, you can then interrogate with an appropriate modality, right? Be that MRI, x-ray, whatever that mammogram or that kind of stuff, right? Whatever they see is important. I've looked at myself when I've had an infection before, um, ingrown toenail of all things, right? Not to go too graphic because when you've got it and you're working with it all the time, you're going to just see when you get sick. Even when you get sick, what do you look like? What do I look like when I'm running a fever? I glow, right? Like when I know I'm running a fever, I glow. When I have an infection, that area glows. You're able to very quickly see, you're able to outline something for a doctor and say, look, here is where this at. So that if they need to provide a cream because maybe you have a rash or something like that, they will do it. But if nothing else, a lot of people will go in for their tumor screening or their preventative maintenance when they detect something. Well, the truth is, is this can see that blood flow is going there long before you can feel it as a lump, right? Long before that's even detectable. And rather than waiting an entire year between your annual checkups for mammograms or what have not, you can see that in younger people who aren't screened that often for that, right? You can just simply have this and uh, they can wear around, wear a, a modesty gown that's, that's, completely great and you don't have to show any part of your body, but the thermal imagers that we built, as long as it's made of the right material, completely sees through that. So you can be getting, you can be being screened your entire body for any any kind of anomaly that might be near the surface that might be pulling in blood and if nothing else, and again, I'm not a doctor, um, medical doctor, but it might be one more data point that allows a doctor to say, we weren't screening you because you're 25. However, something is anomalous on you and that would catching it in its first phase would help out so many people right really really knocks that knocks that down now of course the fda and breast cancer society of america they don't want to use it as a singular modality they don't want it to be the only way and it shouldn't be it's not going to tell you what the cancer is but it is going to tell you there's more blood flow going to that region now is that just because that person has more vascular more vascularization there possibly, but at least you know. And then in the future, you could be like, oh, we expect to see a hot spot right here on your elbow every single time, right? Um, or there's something going on here. And even with mammograms and the most recent studies that have come out, there's density of breast tissues that can confuse and confound a lot of this. Uh, and even some of the algorithms that go in here for, for tracking and recognizing human beings, our ability to see so many more shades of gray, uh, it, it's just one more tool that may be a benefit. And of course, I say may because not a medical doctor. Medical doctors out there really need to be the people to assess these claims. Um, hopefully, I'm making claims, just providing engineering options for people, right? Because that's the important part is that we just saw that from human humans to veterinarian fields, uh, seeing and finding wildlife. Imagine looking in a dark room for a flashlight. The flashlight is on. It's easy to see where it's at. Turns out that humans, that life in the long wave, in the mid wave, in the infrared that we're looking at, glow like the sun. You are literally a light bulb to this technology. So you can, like, if I turn off the lights in here and we could no longer see, and we were completely dark, in the infrared, we would look no different. Flip the lights back on, flip them off. The infrared would see us no different in this environment. It's just really nice to be able to detect precise locations because that's really what it is. It's saying there's something of importance here. And so when I look at the medical field, when I look at fire prevention, like out in California, because it also sees through the smoke that's there, right? Longwave is notoriously really good at just looking through burning wood smoke. You can see where the fire is at. You can see where the embers are growing. So you can imagine putting 
uh, infrared imagers with specific algorithms on aircraft that could fly over regions and catch fires long before they turn into hundreds of thousands of acres. And you could shut a fire down more quickly. You could say, this is where we need to be dumping our resources. This is where the fuel is at. And you could very quickly chart out by looking at emissivities and other scientific theorems like, look, that's where it's going to be. I need to get that, right? Um, and you can more quickly put it out. So it's what we very quickly after, you know, trying to fight COVID with this thing for a while and then asking these questions. A lot of other uses. A lot yeah. of other uses. Yeah. And one thing just to kind of throw in there, um, you told me in kind of previous conversations there that it could also go in the reverse. Instead of saying what's too high, it could say what's too cold. Yes. So that could open up a whole new, you know, field of, of different individuals that might want that or, you know, whatever. It could do the reverse too. Um, so kind of circling back to, you know, talking about thermal imaging cameras in the medical industry right now, some of that, um, you know, from my understanding is a little bit controversial, you know, just in like actually starting that whole process and utilizing them. Can you kind of explain a little bit how this is different than some of the other systems that are currently available in the medical market, just, you know, from your engineering expertise? Yeah. So within those, with that area, we, we wrote it to do something very different. And we also wrote it to be much more sensitive than a lot of that is right. Because in that, in that, command line in that signaling certification field, you have to go through years and years and years to get it approved in the first place, right? There's a lot of studies that need to go on. And what that ends up doing is you tend to end up getting older technology that's out of date by seven to 10 years to be utilized in these areas. So it becomes very, very problematic very quickly to be using 10 to 15 year old technology to solve a problem that we can solve right now, right? The imagers that are coming out almost, because it is made of the same stuff that our computers are made of, it's advancing at that same speed. So we're getting graphics cards, as many gamers will tell you, that are out of date every three months, right? Because they're just so quickly adapting. Same thing is true here. Just the sensitivity, the resolving, the, the resolution, the power is outstanding. And I don't want to make this sound like the FDA has ruled on this and there were some decisions. But even in 2020, I was reading some some papers specifically just about this even recently there is still an, an understanding that we, as the imagers have improved, as their capacities have improved, as AI ML has really gotten 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 really useful as of late, as we're starting to see with a lot of different AI ML um, systems that are coming on, even ChatGPU, what a different type system, but same kind of uh, methodology method that one man analyzes that. It just is one more tool that ultimately could be utilized and it's newer and it it has better resolving capabilities. It's much more faster. It's much faster. Uh, it can see deeper into these things. And even though it does have limitations, right? I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to sell it as an end-all be-all, right? I mean, I wouldn't use an MRI to, you know, for a stubbed elbow, uh, for a stubbed toe, might be more, more or, or, you know, for a slight cut or contusion, I would use them for something more serious, right? Or even x-rays. Everything has its place and it's just giving doctors another tool within that capacity capability that they may not have had otherwise, right? The ability yeah. to to pre-screen your patients more quickly, uh, more effectively, to look for anomalies, uh, to look for sicknesses that they may not be aware of, that they're not even feeling yet. Um, so yes, the F FDA definitely has not approved it for breast cancers. However, with the newer systems, they certainly are meeting the thresholds that the others certainly could not. And there is a uh, argument that they say it's very subjective, and that is true. But so is much of the medicine that I encounter when I go to my doctor, right? Like I'm having a discussion with, and you're like, you're, you're, you're shooting it together. And it's, it's not as objective as I would like as a scientist, but it still gets us to be healthier. Uh, and it's just one of the, hopefully many things 
that might be useful to somebody out there. And it, given that we're seeing its accuracy, given that we're seeing its precision of 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, um, these noise equivalent temperature differences, which is a term familiar to us, basically able to see subtle differences around 25 millikelvin, which is very, very small amount of uh, there. Um, being able to adjust the range to be able to see a lot of different things. Uh, and it really relates to the field of view that's there. And then really, even though there's that controversy that really kind of breeds within that area, the older systems, the older optics, they just were nowhere near what we are working with today within the Department of Defense and the technologies that we really have fielded and our warfighters are actively using. They're able to see things that are, would blow you away if you got to look at them. They're wow. just, they're outstanding. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's there's always controversy in any one of these things. And I would want to step back and say, it's not going to be the solution for everything by any right, means. Right, absolutely. But does it absolutely lead to an indicator that something's going on by saying, hey, there's more blood flow going there than would otherwise? That could be an informative data point that a doctor, because, you know, you go into your doctor, you sit down, you might shake their hand, then you talk about your issue, and then you shake their hand and then they leave. They're not palpating your entire body, not under good. They'll palpitate your stomach, but they're not feeling everywhere. And in some instances, there's nothing to feel yet because it's so early. And wouldn't it be great to catch those a little bit earlier if you possibly could? So that's how I kind of deal with the controversy that's there uh, because I recognize it. I mean, it's it's not authorized for those kind of things, you know, but and the current system is very slow at authorizing and adopting those, you know, but if it can help, hopefully it will, you know. Pretty cool. Well, Aaron, as we close out, um, you know, I think this will be a pretty easy question for you to answer, but I always close out with asking you know, why are you so passionate about the technology that, you know, you told us about today? Like what, what's kind of driven you to, to excel so much with this technology? Service in many ways. I just, uh, I love to make things that never existed before. I like to take things that are there and turn them into something useful for someone. It gets me excited. Like I just, I read more than I probably should. I stay up. I torture my poor wife with technology talks way more than she ever wants because she doesn't care about that stuff um, because it's fun. It's, I, I went to school to get all these degrees because there's just something to reach. There's something about reaching into the divinity of the universe, looking at that chaos and pulling order and form back out that just sings to me. When asked are so inspired to create, I create. That's who I am. And that's why I love to do what I do. Hope that's been informative for you guys. Pretty great answer. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I was so glad when you said you would be able to join us and, and participate in this podcast. And so thank you so much. I'm so excited this episode to release. Um, so thank you for that. And to everybody out there that's listening, um, this episode's a wrap, but don't forget that you can listen to our episodes on demand and you can feel free to reach out to me at 812-854-4055 or send us an email at crane underscore t2 at navy.mil. Thanks for joining the conversation and happy Tuesday, everybody.